Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host attorney Rodney Dowell here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast helping attorneys in their practice, especially solo or small firms. We're glad you could listen today on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Rodney Dow, Director of the Massachusetts Law Office Management Program, offering free consultations to Massachusetts attorneys to improve their business practices. You can find out more about our program at masslowmap.org, and you can find one of our many articles about law office management at our Mass Low Map blog, The Law Practice Advisor, masslowmap.blogspot.com. There you'll also see a blog roll of a number of excellent law practice management blogs, such as Eric Mazzoni's LawPracticeMatters.com from North Carolina. And this program note to welcome our sponsor, the fine folks at Abacus Law. That's A-B-A-C-U-S-L-A-W.com. Today, we are speaking with uh, my friend, Attorney Jay Shepard, about his passion, providing open, transparent pricing to deliver value to his clients. In the legal industry, this concept is widely known as value billing and sometimes known as alternative billing. We are talking about one clear alternative to what Jay considers the broken legal pricing system based upon the hourly billing model. Just a little background about Jay. Jay started practicing in 1994. His firm, the Shepherd Law Group, PC, is based in Boston, represents employers and helps with hiring, firing, and management decisions. It also represents employers in litigation involving discrimination claims, wrongful termination claims, wage claims, trade secret, and non-compete litigation. Although Jay's legal reputation is stellar, his firm stands out because he does not use an hourly billing model. Jay, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, and I look forward to sharing with the listening audience your thoughts on value billing. Thanks, Rodney. I'm excited to be here. Great. We really appreciate it. Jay, you and I have spoken about this issue on numerous occasions, and I've read your blog, The Client Revolution, and your website at the Shepherd Law Group. So I have a good sense of the concept of value billing and what you call open pricing. But can you kind of tell our audience what you mean by this term open pricing? Sure, I'd be happy to. You know, Rodney, I really believe that words matter, and I think as lawyers we know that uh, as well as anybody, that, you know, the words you use to describe something can really make a difference. One of the frustrations I've had over the years is with the term alternative billing. It, It has kind of a seamy connotation, like alternative lifestyle, and it doesn't really say, it says what it's not, right? It says, it doesn't say what it is. It's not hourly billing. Okay, well, that's fine, but what actually is it? Um, there's been a bit of a push to try to call it value pricing. Part of the problem is when you, when you call it, describe it as billing, that's what the law firm does. The clients don't care as much about the billing. They care about how much it's going to cost, the pricing. And, and billing is after the fact, whereas pricing is supposed to be ahead of uh, the actual work being done. Um, so value pricing is a better understanding, a better phrase to describe it. But my problem is the word value has been skunked a bit. A lot of times it, has, it carries a connotation of, of discount, you know, sort of a Walmart kind of uh, approach. And that's, and that's not right um, because that's not – I mean, sometimes it can be, but it certainly doesn't have to be. Um, and so trying to 
come up with the right way of, of describing this, I finally hit upon that what hourly billing really is, is hidden pricing. The price is hidden from the client. They don't know ahead of time what it's going to cost. And there's almost nothing else that people go out and buy without knowing what the cost is ahead of time. You know, can you imagine going to the car dealership and saying, I'll take that red one, and how much is it? And they say, well, I can't tell you until you agree to buy it and maybe drive it around a bit. I can't tell you what it's going to cost. You would never do that. But um, so the price is hidden. And to me, the opposite of hidden pricing is open pricing. It's open and transparent. You know ahead of time. Um, And I think as I've started to kind of roll this phrase out, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback on that because it really describes what we're talking about. The price is out in the open where it should be so the client can make an informed decision. Well, in this industry, obviously, our billing is predominant. I mean, probably 90% or more of the attorneys do some type of hourly billing or arrangements. So what do you find to be wrong with that concept? The problem is you get what you pay for. And if you're selling time, you know, which is really what's happening when you're billing by the hour, you're selling time, then then that's what the client's going to get. You're going to get time. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, I'd like to believe, I know a lot of a lot of lawyers and a lot of good lawyers, and I think on average most lawyers, despite what other people might think, really try to be ethical, really try to be responsible. Yeah, most I agree lawyers, with that. Yeah, and, and lawyers aren't looking to, to, to pad their hours or to make up time. Very few people actually do that. But that said, people, I believe, work, all people, even lawyers, <laughs> we forget they're people too, all people respond to incentives, and people respond strongly to economic incentives, to financial incentives. And if I, as the lawyer, make more money by taking longer, by taking more time to solve your problem, well, that's an incentive for me to take longer. And, you know, to, for people to say, oh, well, what if we don't, we resist that. I, you know, in the long run, are you going to do so? Are you going to work on something that's going to make you more money or less money? I, I'd say, all things being equal, at least there's that financial incentive. I think that creates a conflict between the law firm and the client, because you don't want the same things. Your interests are misaligned. You come to me with a problem, Rodney, and you say, Jay, I need you to solve this problem. I'm being sued by a former employee, or I, um, I need a will to get done, or, or, or any type of project. Um, you want the problem solved so you can get on with your life and do the things that are important to you. Uh, if I'm getting paid by the hour, I'm going to make more money if I take longer. Now, I'm an ethical lawyer, so I'm not going to do unnecessary work, or at least I'm not going to try to do it. But we all know, and this happens a lot in large firms where you've got associates who never even deal with the clients, instead of just looking at the, I do litigation, so you know, if, if we have to research a particular issue, we're going to be as effective with that research as we can. And we might know the answer after reading the first three most important cases. But if you, don't, if you have an incentive to get more money, if you spend more time working, a junior associate might go and read all 24 cases on the subject and then write an internal memo discussing all of the 24 cases when the, the, the three cases might have been enough. Right. So what, what we find is that the incentives uh, are, are wrong. But I, what I also see people responding to, you know, your discussion and other discussions about open pricing and value pricing is that they take this concept to, um, to their clients and their client, clients aren't receptive because maybe they've always done hourly billing. Is that your 
experience? I, I think you raise a really good point. I think we hear that a lot. I'm seeing a lot of um, comments in the blogosphere and in the um, in the legal press uh, saying that alternative billing has been a, a somebody called it a colossal train wreck, um, and that that uh, and a lot of law firms are saying the the, the clients aren't telling us what they want. Um, the problem is, I think. We're the vendor here in this relationship. Lawyers don't like to think of themselves as business people right. often, but we are. We're, we're the merchants. It's up to us to come up with what our offering is. It's not up to, that's our job. It's not up to the customer to say, hey, Rodney, hey, Jake, I want you to sell me this, and this is how I want you to price it. That's our job. It's up to us. You're right that most people, you know, for the last three generations or so, since the late 50s, early 60s, most lawyers have been billing by the hour. A lot of people don't realize that before that, there was no such thing as hourly billing in the law. But, but most of us now who have been practicing, that's what we grew up with. That's what we're used to. And particularly with larger companies where the in-house counsel used to be at large law firms, all they know is hourly billing. So it may take some education. It may take some, um, some raising their awareness to show them how it is that hourly billing doesn't help them. And that's important. The other big issue that people need to address more is the concept of surprise, the concept of, you know, sometimes uh, what people, one of the complaints I hear from people is from lawyers who want to try open prices is that they're afraid that the clients are going to re- react with sticker shock. You know, it, if somebody comes to me and says, I have a non-compete case and I need you to defend against a preliminary injunction, what's it going to cost? And that's something we do a lot here. So I can oftentimes, once I know a bit about the case, I can oftentimes come up with a price very quickly and say it's going to be, you know, $45,000. And they and their eyes come out of their heads like in the cartoons. They, you know, what? <laughs> but the irony is, if they went to another law firm who bills hourly, I guarantee you that they're going to spend the 45000 or more money as a result. But they don't get told that. They get told, okay, Joe, the partner's going to bill at five fifty an hour. And we're going to have an associate working the case, and that's going to be at three twenty-five an hour. And then you ask before Joe asks, well, how many hours is going to be? Well, it's hard to say. It depends. It depends on what the other side does. It depends on the judge. It depends on this and that. And they don't ever come up with in their head that number. And so they don't. That's what's so insidious about it, because the client never really understands that it's going to cost forty-five, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. They don't know it until they get the bill afterwards. And then it's too late. Well, and so how do firms, if they want to implement this open pricing methodology, uh, how do they go about making or talking to their clients about the benefits of having that set budget in place rather than this open-ended, insidious type of of potential uh, hourly billing? The the key is they have, is really, the answer is in the question the way you asked it. They really, they have to talk. It is oftentimes a client calls up and says, I have a problem, I need you to work on it, I need you to deal with it. And sometimes you go right into it. And you don't have the conversation about the value of the job to the customer, which is the only thing that matters. I mean, it sounds almost oversimplified, but it's actually, it's not. It's actually quite complicated. Um, what does, how does the customer value the service that they're trying to get from you, the, the, the desired result? that they're asking you for. That's not something, you know, we don't have a menu of prices that I can pull out of my drawer and when you call up and say, okay, Jay, how much for a, a wage claim? I can't, I can't tell you. 
because every case is different, every client's different. What I need to do is take the time to sit down with you and have a conversation. Um, you know, if, if you are a large company and the CEO has been accused of sexual harassment, um, that's going to be a really important case to you. It's going to be public. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to be, it's going to be more expensive, obviously. Um, that's, that's something that's going to have a high value for you. If a secretary who's been working for three months claims that she um, was fired, you know, was wrongful termination, that's going to be a lower-level case. That's not going to be worth as much to you, and you're not going to be willing to spend as much because it's just not as important. There's not as much at stake. And yet, when you bill by the hour, we don't make that distinction. If I bill at five fifty an hour, I'm going to bill you for you know, one hour of my time on the CEO case is going to be five fifty, and one hour of my time on the secretary case is going to be five fifty. Well, that's crazy because neither they're not the same value. So you have to have that conversation. You have to learn and listen to your client and, and get a sense. Um, this is what every other merchant in the world does. They have to figure out what are their customers willing to pay. If you go buy a fancy watch at a nice store for Christmas, um, and uh, you know it, the, the watch costs a lot of money, you're not going to ask how many hours the, the guys in Switzerland spent building it. You're not going to ask how many grams of titanium are in it. That doesn't matter, because that's just the cost. That's not relevant to you. What's relevant to you is, are you willing to spend $1,000 today to buy this watch? If you are, then that price is right for you. If if you're not, the price is wrong for you. It's that's the simple part. Well, let's. Um, I mean, it seems to me like what in, in many ways you're talking about during this whole thing is is kind of a, a broader picture of how do you set your open pricing, or how would an attorney that or attorney or law firm that wanted to start implementing an open uh, pricing structure. Go about setting their pricing. I mean, I'm sure you weren't always an open price law firm. No, not at all. I, I started this firm uh, 11 and a half years ago, and for the first eight years, we billed by the hour because, like everyone else, that's all I knew. Before this firm, I was at a boutique employment firm very similar to this one, and that's the way I learned. But I always was frustrated with the concept. I didn't like tracking my time because I didn't feel like I felt like I'm a knowledge worker, to use Peter Drucker's uh, phrase, you know, and, and that's what I'm, you know, they're paying for my knowledge and my experience and my creativity. They're not paying for my six-minute increments. And I quite found it, I found it demeaning, to be perfectly honest, and I think it's demeaning to all lawyers um, to be treated like automatons, like robots. But um, I spent a lot of time trying, I read everything on the subject. I read how people said, hey, you can't do litigation on a other than hourly basis, it can't be done. Um, we haven't in my firm. We haven't billed or even tracked an hour in now three years. I have no idea how much time I spent on anything, or my other lawyers have, and it doesn't matter because my clients don't care about that. Here's what we did to, to answer your question specifically. What we did is we took eight years worth of bills and we analyzed them. We went through them, and it was quite a bit of data. And I looked at different cases and I said, okay. Here are a couple of cases that were very similar, similar types of cases. They were non-compete cases. One cost $25,000. The other cost $250,000. Why? What was the difference? Uh, what was, why did this one cost so much more? I, I can tell you that in the expensive one, we didn't tell the client ahead of time it was going to cost a quarter million dollars. We didn't know. In that case, it was uh, the plaintiff's lawyers, uh, or the lawyers on the other side, I guess, 
Um, spent a lot of time with depositions, a ton of discovery, kind of spiraled out of control. Um, and it took a lot more time. We looked at it and said, okay, you know, did the clients in these different cases, did they feel at the end like they got their money's worth? Did we feel like we were paid a fair price for that? Or did we feel like we could have uh, charged more for the case? Or did we feel like we overcharged for the case? And we asked those questions to try to get a sense. Another thing we do... Jay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. We just need to take a short break. No problem. Uh, when we return, we'll talk more about how your firm uh, started open pricing. Your marketing results can make other law firms jealous. To get more rainmaking ideas, you can start using immediately. See the 60-minute on-demand webinar entitled Rainmaking Essentials. As a bonus for listening to this Legal Talk Network podcast, if you act now, you can view this $97 webinar for free. Simply visit abacuslaw.com slash marketing. That's abacuslaw.com slash marketing. You'll be glad you did. Want to tell a national audience about your latest successful verdict or large settlement case? We'll produce a video interviewing the prevailing attorney and distribute it online on the Legal Talk Network. Put the video on your firm's website, too. Call us at 781-551-9960. That's 781-551-9960. Welcome back to the Unbillable Hour on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Rodney Dowd, joined by attorney and blogger Jay Shepard. We're talking about open pricing for legal services. And to get back, uh, Jay, uh, you were going through the process of how your firm implemented uh, open pricing after and moving away from the model of the billable hour. The, uh, you're right. No, I'll try to keep my answer short. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get worked up talking about this stuff. One of the big questions, one of the things about price is it, it prices a communications mechanism. It conveys to the world value. It tells people what it, something is worth, or at least what we think it's worth. One of the frustrations of being a small boutique firm who com- in employment law, competing for the same companies that my friends over at the large firms uh, are, are trying to do work for as well, I always felt frustrated. You know, we charge less than a large firm on a case. And I, it sent the message that we were somehow worthless. That not worthless, but worth less. <laughs> right. And uh, and and I always that frustrated me because if I'm going to hold myself out and, and my firm out as being just as good, um, just as good as the top firms, then why am I sending a message that I don't value the work we do at the same price? And and you stop and think, well, okay, but they have much bigger overhead, and they have offices in Prague, and they have all these other departments, so of course they have to charge more. Well, the client doesn't care about that. So when I set a price for something, I have to keep in mind, like in any other industry, what's the market for this? You know, if, if I say it's going to cost $100,000 to defend an MC a, a claim at the Commission Against Discrimination, um, you know, a regular claim at the state agency, no one's going to hire me for that because that's just way outside what the market will bear. So I have to be aware of what other people will charge. And so... You know, we don't try to be a discount uh, firm. We don't try to be, we don't hold ourselves out as being cheaper than many. Um, We will end up costing you less because, quite frankly, we can save money with this method because the costs are known ahead of time. On the other hand, can you find people who are cheaper? Absolutely. Without question, you can always find someone who's cheaper. And if I talk to a prospective client 
who is balking at our price range, uh, when I'm first talking to them, I'll say, hey, you know, if you're shopping on price, you should keep shopping um, because you will find people less expensive. Um, so you do need to know what the market will bear. I'm sorry, but I, yeah, I thought that was an interesting point that you made there about, you know, I think there's a common perception, especially among solo attorneys that I talk to about this concept, that if they're going to do flat fee pricing, that they're going to make less money and they're charging, basically ending up uh, charging less for the services. Uh, but I ba- I believe based on reading your blogs and hearing you talk about this, that that's not necessarily your experience. Not at all. Not at all. There's no question. I, I can... Our revenue as a firm has gone up substantially since we made the change away from hourly billing. Now, to be fair, some of it is because we've gotten some notoriety. We're the only employment firm, management employment firm, that does this in the country, as far as I know. And I keep looking. Um, I think that'll change. But so we were getting business um, from some people taking it away from hourly billing firms. But there's no reason. Again, that's why I don't like the concept of value pricing. I don't want people to think of this as a discount. Um, I think solos in particular and small firms oftentimes way undercharge, underprice their services. What kind of message does it send? I mean, do you want to get your will done by someone who's going to charge you $99 for it? I, I People have a sense, they might not admit it, but they have a sense that they get what they pay for. And a $99 will is probably not going to be that great. I mean, you can go to Staples and have get a computer program and do it. Um, so I, I think it's a confidence thing. I, if I want to hold myself out as being an expert in employment litigation, then I need to price accordingly because that sends a message. I mean, it's one thing for me to say, Rodney, I'm really good. You should hire me. But it's another thing if I back up and say, Rodney, this is what it's going to cost for this because then you can take that information and go, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's a lot of money, but I bet it's worth it because if he's getting that kind of money, he must be good. So it sends that kind of a message. Well, I think that definitely, I mean, and I don't want to get stuck on this point, but I mean, I do see, I think, uh, a lot of attorneys who don't value themselves enough to value the work that they're providing for clients and price accordingly. Um, but rather than going down that road, one of the things I wanted to talk to you a little bit about today also was, you know, I, and I've seen this comments to your, your, your stuff before as well. How do I know my associates or my partners are doing the work, that they're being productive if I'm not tracking their time? And what would your response be to that issue? That is the second most common question I get from other lawyers when I talk about this. The first question is always, well, don't you secretly, internally track your time? And the answer to that question is no. Um, But the second question is exactly what you asked, and that's the second most common question. How do you know if your attorneys are working? And my answer often sounds flippant, but I I mean it sincerely. My answer is I manage them. That's my job. As the the boss, uh, it's my job to make sure I know how my lawyers are doing. Because here's the thing, people at, at firms, particularly large firms, but any firms really, that bill by the hour, use those hours as a crutch, as a substitute for management. If, if Nicole in my office spent 3.4 hours yesterday working on a summary judgment brief, that number doesn't tell me the important things. It doesn't tell me if it's any good. It doesn't tell me if it was a productive 3.4 hours where she was just where the writing was flowing and the thoughts were coming and the argument was coming together, or whether it was 3.4 hours of staring out the window and banging her head against the keyboard like we've all done. You know, 
the time has a quality. The time doesn't have a quality to it. It's the work that has a quality. I need to be able to know how's it going. Is it? I mean, all, all the client cares about is is the work good, and does it get done on time, which isn't the same as how long does it take. And so it's up to me as the boss to see, hey, how's the summary judgment brief going? Are you struggling with it? Let's sit down and talk it out. Or if it's going well, great. Can I? Am I going to have a draft on time? That's much more important. Um, I don't care how many hours she works on it. If, if, if she's efficient with her time and writing effectively and can leave at 4 o'clock because she got the work done she needed to get done, fantastic. Uh, that's, way, that's, that's good for me. It's good for the client. It's good for her. The hours don't tell me anything. Right. So, I mean, what you're really saying is, you know, uh, and not to paraphrase because you said it so well, but, uh, you know, active management. I mean, be be a boss, take responsibility for your firm and, and take responsibility for ensuring quality products are going out the door. Um, but I, I, we need to wrap up the show, unfortunately, because I, I would could sit here and talk to you about this all day. But I wonder, as we wrap this up, if you could just leave our listeners with the last uh, couple thoughts about open pricing and, and the where you see it in the future. Sure, definitely. I, I, what I can tell you is we're seeing, we're seeing a lot more talk about it. Um, the Wall Street Journal Law Blog announced a couple of weeks ago that they think 20, 2010 is going to be the year of fixed prices. And I think we're going to see a lot of growth. Unfortunately, and I've written about this this week in the client revolution, we're seeing a lot of lip service paid to it. We're seeing it particularly at the large firms where they're patting themselves on the back saying, oh, we do all this alternative billing, all the alternative fee arrangements. But if you dig a little deeper in some of the surveys, like the National Law Journal survey, you see that they're, they're including things like blended rates, where you, know, you blend the rates of the associate and the partner, or discounted rates. That's not alternative billing. That's not value pricing. That's hourly billing with the exact same problems. And when you discount, those firms have to make up the money somewhere else. And where they make up the money is in the hours. So I see we're making progress. I think we're going to make more progress. I think where the progress is really going to come from are the solos and small firms because they don't have these committees to say, oh, you can't do that. No, we, what, if, what if we don't cover our costs? Um, you know, learn your, make sure you know your stuff and know the value of your stuff to your clients. That will enable you to set your prices and, quite frankly, make a lot of money on it. A real marketing and competitive edge for solo and small firms if they're willing to take the steps to make it work. Absolutely. Without question. I have no doubt about that. Okay. Well, Jay, thanks so much. And uh, we're going to wrap up this edition of the On Billable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. And remember, you can check out all of our shows at www.legaltalknetwork.com. And you can uh, uh, download and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. A very special thanks to our guest uh, for being here today. Jay, uh, can you just give us a tell our listeners where they can find your blogs and your website? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, and I've really enjoyed this too, Roddy. Thanks. My, I write two blogs. One is called The Client Revolution, uh, which is named actually one of the ABA Blog 100 blogs. Um, and it's all about this stuff, this topic, and how lawyers can make their practices better uh, for them and for their clients. I write an employment blog called Gruntled Employees uh, because it's the disgruntled employees who are the ones who sue you. And so that's the key is to get disgruntled employees out and just have gruntled employees. And then my law firm is Shepherd Law Group at shepherdlawgroup.com, uh, and we help, basically we help make work less work, and that's what we're
we're about here. And uh, if people want to talk to me, and I, I'm starting to do some consulting and coaching on this, I'd be more than happy to talk to them on that. Well, that's great. And just uh, before we leave, let me tell people that if they want, if they go to your uh, blog and enjoy it, they can go to the ABA uh, Journal website and uh, vote for your blog, among others, uh, to get a final uh, uh, top blog uh, uh, selection. So uh, for anyone that enjoys uh, Jay's blogs or other blogs, please go there and vote on them. And for uh, me, you can find more about me and the Maslow Map at maslowmap.org. Uh, follow our blog at maslomap.blogspot.com. And on Twitter, you can find me at Rodney Dow, where I hope we can continue this discussion at 140 characters or less. Remember, you can also find this podcast on Legal Talk Network shows in iTunes as well. And a special thanks to our gracious sponsor, Abacus Law. Take the time to go to its website, which is packed full of excellent resources about starting your practice and practice management. We will see you next time on the On Billable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast with Attorney Rodney Dowell. Join us again for the next edition right here on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.